G'day and welcome to the Sea Creatures Podcast, a show all about the amazing animals that live beneath the waves. Each episode, we chat about a specific sea creature with a guest who has spent time and interact with this ocean animal. Our guests range from scuba divers to marine biologists, citizen scientists, underwater photographers, and anyone who has an intense passion for marine life. My name is Matt Testoni, and I'm all of the above. And joining me for this episode of the Sea Creatures Podcast is Scott Morrissey, and he's going to be, he's a marine biologist. Uh, from JCU, currently doing his PhD on jellyfish. And that's what we're going to be talking all about today, jellyfish, and hopefully a little bit about the infamous box jellyfish. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. No worries. So how did you come to be involved in jellyfish and studying jellyfish? Did you just fall into it or was it something that you kind of aspired to? Well, I kind of just fell into it. Um, at the end of my undergrad, I was looking for an honors project and I had no clue as to what I'd like to study. I just couldn't make up my mind as I found everything underwater to be so incredibly interesting. And it wasn't until I spoke to one of my professors, Mike Kingsford, who is actually one of my supervisors today for my PhD, that I decided to study jellyfish, specifically box jellyfish. And ever since then, I've just become more and more intrigued by them as there is a lot we don't know about these animals. Yeah, I mean, I was doing a bit of research before the show and I was blown away by just how complex they are and some of the amazing little facts you find out about them. But start us off and tell us what exactly is a jellyfish? Well, jellyfish are not just the animal you see swimming around the ocean or washed up on the beach. They have quite a complex life cycle, which has three main stages. Now, the first stage is right at the beginning of the jellyfish's life, just after an egg and a sperm eat and fuse. And this stage is the planular stage. And what it is, is an absolutely tiny, about half a millimeter in size, pill-shaped larvae. Now, for this larvae to move onto the next stage of its life, it needs to find a nice safe place where it can park up and settle down. And so, It'll swim around the water until it finds such a place. Now, once it settles, we are at the beginning of the next stage, the polyp stage. Now, believe it or not, this stage is actually the dominant, most persistent stage of a jellyfish. Polyps can live for several years. And the easiest way to describe a polyp is as a tiny microscopic sea anemone or as a tiny little jellyfish which has been flipped upside down and it's kind of stuck to the sea floor. They're around one to two millimeters in size, so they're really quite tiny. Now, during this stage, the polyps undertake asexual reproduction. So they're essentially cloning themselves to increase their numbers. And this can occur by them splitting themselves in half, or they move very slowly along the ocean floor. And while they do so, they leave a little footprint of little footprint of cells behind and those cells can grow into another polyp individual and this polyp stage despite it being the most persistent stage is actually quite understudied and this is mainly due to the challenges associated with finding them for example of all the box jellyfish species which is about 50 polyps have only been located twice worldwide ever And the understanding we have surrounding this stage mostly comes from polyps which which have been successfully raised in a lab. And 
that itself isn't an easy feat for most species. Now, once conditions are ideal, the polyps will start to bud off a part of themselves. And that grows up to be the Medusa stage, the stage we're all familiar with. And a single polyp can produce from one to 30, 40 plus Medusa, potentially hundreds. If you have a bed of polyps with a large number of individuals, this is how you end up with massive blooms of jellyfish. So the polyp stage, which we know little about and have a hard time finding, are the source Medusa. So if we can work out where they are, um, then it will open the door to really understanding you know, population structures, dynamics of these animals. Wow, that's, that's, yeah, sorry, I just have to like kind of get that into my head. So you've got a tiny larvae, it settles on the ground and it grows yeah. into like, I've, you know, when you look at kind of the drawings, they kind of look like almost like a flower. And then it's the equivalent of like this flower, like growing and detaching like hundreds of flowers, which then go off to be their own jellyfish. That's, that's crazy because that was one of the questions I had. How many jellyfish will a polyp make? Yeah, well, it depends like a lot of stuff around around jellyfish, we don't really know because, you know, it's all, you know, polyps in a lab, which could be different to what's actually happening in the wild. Actually, for, for a lot of a lot of us, when we work with uh, jellyfish, we'll have polyp cultures in our labs and to get them to, you know, bud and become a medusa, well, we have to add, but we've got to add this chemical and, and it causes them to, to strobulate and produce medusa. But for Skyphozoan jellyfish, which are your general jellyfish, you know, it could be 30, 40, could be 100, you know, medusa per polyp. For box jellyfish, however, it's one. So one polyp gives you one medusa. Wow. And so box jellyfish, you mentioned their polyps are like a few millimeters. But what about like really big jellyfish you see? Are they the same polyp size or, and then the jellyfish just grows that big? How does it work? Yeah. So, the polyps are all around the one si- around the same size, like one to two millimeters. They might be a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller. But jellyfish have the ability to grow quite rapidly. For the species I work with, the Australian box jellyfish, it can go from being you know the tiny little polyp to a full sized adult in a matter of months. They're like 90, 95% water. So if they eat a lot and get a big meal, they can grow quite quickly. Yeah. And, and so what, what are they feeding on? What are most, and, and all jellyfish feed on the same thing or they've got different diets? Uh, it depends. It depends. Some jellyfish will, you know, uh, just feed on uh, shrimp or other plankton. Some jellyfish have algae that live in their tentacles so they can photosynthesize and get food that way. Whoa. Uh, some jellyfish eat other jellyfish. How does a jellyfish eat another jellyfish? Like what's the mechanism? How does it happen? <laughs> So like a, a lion's mane jellyfish, which is one of your, one of your bigger jellyfish, they get huge. It'll generally eat uh, moon jellies. And so they'll just, moon jellies get caught up in its tentacles and it'll pull it into its mouth, I guess. Its mouth is also its anus. Um, but essentially they, they put the jellyfish inside themselves through, you know, manipulating it with the tentacles. And then the jellyfish, while it's inside, they just dissolves essentially and the, and the jellyfish absorbs all that at once and then releases all the all everything that it doesn't need wow and i mean speaking of the lion's mane i think is that the longest animal in the world i think Ooh, i know that the lion's mane they the largest individual they found was to be two meters wide which is ridiculous like i'm not two meters but if i lay down sideways and and uh, this jellyfish is wider than me. That's, that's insane. But I know that in that same individual, they found it to have tentacles reaching 36 meters in length. 
which is just in, in, insane. Like if you're a poor scuba diver and uh, you're going to probably get tangled up pretty quickly if you're anywhere near that. Yeah, get dragged into, you know, I mean, you'd almost, that, that's got to be feeding on even big fish, wouldn't it, if they get caught up? Yeah, a lot of fish actually use jellyfish as, as shelter and as protection. There's some really cool images out there of, I think it's Trevelli, that have like wedged themselves inside the jellyfish and are swimming along using it as protection, uh, which, is, which is really strange, but really cool. Yeah, and I, I know I've seen a few big um, Hakels jellyfish and blue blubber jellyfish with little colonies of, yeah, different leather jackets living all among them. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really, really cool sight. Yeah. So you mentioned that the polyps, but where do jellyfish live and how deep do jellyfish go and these polyps? Are they on the bottom of the seafloor, like a thousand meters down or what do we know? Well, regarding the polyps, we... I don't really know. For some species, we find them on rocks or on the underside of rocks uh, where they're protected or in, in shells, like old bivalve shells. Some species, their polyps are really thriving on artificial structures we're putting in into um, lakes, rivers, into ports and that. And there's some research going on at the minute out of China and they're trying to work out how to stop all the polyps attaching to the artificial structures to try and reduce the, the huge blooms that they're getting. But the Medusa, Medusa can occur pretty much anywhere. And, you know, warm waters, cold waters, shallow waters. I know that NOAA, when they send down their, their submersibles and that, they find jellies, at, you know, 2,500 meters deep, which is insane. Pretty much if there's, if there's water and things can live in it, there'll be a jellyfish there, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I, I think one thing that I found amazing about jellyfish, because talking about how they live at different depths, you kind of go well, how do they know where to swim? But they actually have different levels of kind of eyesight in a way, don't they? Mm, yeah, indeed. A lot of jellyfish just have standard like light sense eyes so they can tell if it's light or if it's dark. So with box jellies, they actually have pretty complex eyes. They have 24 eyes, six on each side, and eight of them uh, are compound eyes and they can make out images. So it allows them to move through complex habitats like mangrove forests without getting caught on all the intricate root systems, which is really, really cool. Wow. So their eyes, you reckon, are primarily used for navigation, not for hunting per se. They kind of just drift onto their prey, but they navigate with these eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Just so, you know, if like a jellyfish, if you get caught on something, your bell will tear and yeah, that's pretty much the end of things, unfortunately. So it's, it's advantage to, you know, be able to avoid all these all these sharp objects. Yeah, and so you mentioned like really early on that uh, jellyfish reproduce with sperm and eggs, but the question I always have is how do they know when to do this and when there's another jellyfish around to do it? Well, jellyfish communicate by, you know, releasing chemicals, chemical cues. So there is probably a, a, a chemical or a, a cue that they release to tell everyone around them, hey, I want to reproduce, let's all reproduce. But we're actually not really sure. There's a lot that we don't know. Like we don't know when a polyp is turning into a medusa. We have no idea what the, the signal is to, to get them to start. Same with reproducing. There's a lot, yeah, a lot we don't know. A lot of unanswered questions that we're trying to answer. Okay. And so how many types or how many species and how many types of jellyfish are there? So there are four main types of jellyfish. The first type is a relatively new type, and these are the starozoans, or commonly called the stork jellyfish. And there are around 50 species of this type. 
and they actually spend their whole lives living on the ocean floor. And you typically find these jellies in colder waters close to shore, and they look nothing like you think a jellyfish would. Uh, I once heard someone describe them as a wine glass with pom-poms around the top of the glass, which sounds really weird, but everyone listening should definitely look them up because they're really, really cool. <laughs> I love it, wine glass. They're awesome. They're awesome. The stalk jellyfish, yeah. Then the next type is the most diverse type of jellyfish, having around 3,000 species, and these are the hydrozoans. And most of these jellies are quite small and they don't usually sting. An example of one of these jellies, which people might remember from biology class, is hydra, which is a, a freshwater um, hydrozone. And if you've ever seen pictures of some of the deep sea jellyfish, for example, the firework jellyfish, which is stunning, um, the majority of them are hydrozone jellies. Uh, there is one type of hydrozone jelly, actually, which I think is incredibly interesting, and that's the immortal jellyfish, which, as its name suggests, is biologically immortal, so it doesn't die. It can change its old cells back into new ones, and this process can go on indefinitely. And so there's a lot of interest surrounding this species in aging, pharmaceutical, and stem cell research. So just like with the immortal jellyfish, I heard that it's, it changes its life cycle from that medusa, that kind of main jellyfish phase we know, back to the polyp, and then back into the medusa bell. But does it produce, it produces clones of itself, and is it, truly immortal do you think or is it just kind of like dropping off arms and then the arms grow and then you know that kind of thing so it, it does both it, it definitely can revert back to its younger self but yeah they're, they're certainly biologically immortal and yeah cloning themselves is is, is a backup <laughs> to that wow that's a, that's a pretty amazing thing anyway keep keep going and tell us more about the different species or the different types so the next type is what most people think of when you hear someone talking about a jellyfish. And these are the, the Skyphozoan jellyfish or the true jellyfish. And these jellies are what you typically see in aquariums as they are charismatic and there are a range of colors and shapes and sizes. And, you know, some of these can get a huge, huge sizes like the, the lion's mane jellyfish, which we, we discussed earlier. And, you know, included in this Skyphozoan group, you have the moon jellies, which I think every aquarium has because they're such widespread jellyfish uh, genera. And uh, also speaking of moon jellies, they're actually the lab rat of jellyfish research. I think they're the easiest jellyfish species to care for them. And that's, that's why they're the lab rat. Wow. And so in the, in the lab for moon jellyfish, are you getting them to do the polyp stage and they grow up into the medusa stage and over and over again? Or like, are you breeding them in the lab? Yeah, yeah. People, people uh, can successfully rear them in the lab and, and have their polyps. Yeah, polyps are pretty easy to care for. I'm just going to make sure their water's clean and that they're happily fed. And then the medusa stage of moon jellies is also quite easy as, as long as the water's clean. Other species of jellyfish, though, are quite difficult to keep. Um, it is a challenge. If the water's slightly dirty or if the pH is slightly out, they'll just, nah, they're done. They'll just <laughs> call it a day. Wow. Yeah, I mean, just the idea of a jellyfish aquarium seems so much more exciting than a normal aquarium to me anyway. Yeah, well, there's a, a really cool aquarium and research facility down the Gold Coast at SeaWorld run by Professor Kylie Pitt. So if you're ever at Gold Coast, definitely check it out. It's really, really cool. And you can actually see all of her, all of her students and um, her workers and that working behind the scenes, uh, working on the jellyfish, which is, which is really cool. Cool. And so was that the final type of jellyfish or is there one more? 
So there's one more and it's my favorite um, and it's the box jellyfish, of course. Uh, I'm probably the only person in the world or one of the only people in the world who gets excited to see them. Everyone, when they when they hear box jellyfish, they, they run for the hills, but I think they're incredibly interesting. And they're probably, they're probably the most evolved of all the types of jellyfish. You know, they have great mobility and they're capable of strong directional swimming, so they can move against currents. So they don't just go with the flow like some of their, their Skyphazone relatives. And, you know, they have their complex eyes, so they can make out images and move through those mangrove roots. And, uh, of course, uh, they're famous for their sting. Box jellies have some of the most potent venom in the animal kingdom. And the Australian box jellyfish, which is actually my research species, is the most venomous animal in the ocean and potentially on the planet you know a full-grown adult has wow. enough venom to kill 60 adult humans which is just insane and, and terrifying <laughs> so not all box jellyfish are poisonous though are they no some 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 have milder stings like copula sevakisi which is this tiny tiny little box jellyfish probably the size of your thumbnail its stings are like it still stings, but it's not not terribly painful. It's not gonna not gonna hurt you. But a lot of species do hurt. You know, you have box jellyfish like the Australian box jellyfish, which are have killed people, and then you have Irukandji jellyfish, which have the nastiest sting. Um, I never want to experience that, and I hope no one listening does. And if you want, I can describe the whole process of that sting. Yeah, yeah. First of all, how big are Irukandji and Australian box jellyfish? How big are the deadly kinds? So Australian box jellyfish, you know, it varies, but the biggest ones you'll probably find, you know, 15 to 20 centimetres wide, and then you'll have tentacles up to three metres long when they're fully extended. That's quite a big animal. And you only need, you know, if you're swimming and, you know, you swim straight into its tentacles across your chest, you're going to be having a pretty, pretty rough time, You, you know, you should get to the hospital pretty quick. It's not going to be good. Yeah, because there's not that many deaths each year or not that many encounters with them, are there? No, no, not here in Australia. We're quite lucky. Uh, unfortunately, the most recent one was last stinger season. In total, since we started recording them, there's only been around 60 deaths in Australia. But, you know, in other countries such as the Philippines where, you know, they don't have stinger nets, they don't have know education for like how to not get stung and how to stay away from stingers the number of deaths is is, is significantly higher and in those countries it's it's a it's quite a concern actually yeah well fingers crossed we never see one out scuba diving well i want to see them yeah <laughs> <laughs> in a yes, full stinger yeah. suit with a face mask on i hope but t- tell us about so tell us about the mechanism what happens when you get stung by the jellyfish so Along their tentacles, they have these cells called nematocysts. And they're like, when you brush up against the tentacle, it's there's a little hair and it needs mechanical and chemical simulation, uh, stimulation. And, um, you know, just brushing your arm, your leg will do that. And what happens is a little like harpoon comes shooting out of the cell into your skin that injects the venom, which is nuts. It's really cool. A lot of people study it. Um, there's some really cool videos of, of you can see the nematocyst firing. It's super cool. Wow. And so that nematocyst stays in you? That's what the jellyfish leaves it behind? Like once it's fired into you? Yeah, so it can be there. But, you know, after you, you know, put vinegar on, it, it, it all comes out eventually. Okay, so it fires into you and then what happens? So it fires into you and then the jellyfish will inject the venom into you. Now, when you get done not 
it's unlikely that all of the nematocysts on that tentacle have fired. So it's very important to make sure that, you know, you aren't just ripping it off or trying to scrape it off, you know, use the, the vinegar or wash it off with the seawater. But yeah, don't just pull it off. <laughs> yeah. And, and what does vinegar do to the poison? Why is vinegar better than water? So if there's any unfired nematocysts, it'll just stop them from being able to fire. It'll de- deactivate them essentially. And so, you know, you don't want to be pulling off tentacle or, or dealing with tentacle that's still got unfired nematocysts. You don't want people helping you get it stung in that. So it's just important to, to, to use the vinegar. So the vinegar kind of neutralizes these nematocysts. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It stops, stops them from firing, yeah. Okay, so but if you've already got the poison in you, the vinegar isn't helping. Is that correct? No, no. The vinegar... The vinegar prevents anything else from firing off. But yeah, if you've been done with a, with, a, with a decent amount of tentacles and you've got a high venom load being injected into you, you need to call, call for help and uh, get to the hospital as quick as you can. Yeah. But fortunately, there is, there is actually an anti-venom out now for, for the Australian buck jellyfish, which is, which is good. Ah, so if you do get kind of like a medium sting and you can get to the hospital, you'll probably be okay these days. That's, yeah. that's like, yeah, Good to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should be fine. Uh, like if you get done and you're at a beach and there's other people around, you should be able to get to the hospital and you should be okay. Yeah. And so when you're going to collect your box jellyfish, you're way out on the reef. How do you do it? And what kind of safety precautions? And has there ever been stings or how does it all work? With all jellyfish work, you know, we're, we're gloved up. We're wearing full wetsuits. Everything is covered. Um, we have a heap of vinegar. Um, we have some other products called Sting No More, which is a really cool product that stops the sting. It's quite unlikely that we'll get stung out there while we're working because we have every possible safety measure in place. And the last thing you want is to get stung, you know, out in the boat in the middle of nowhere. It would not be fun time for anyone. Yeah. And how, so how do you collect box jellyfish? Or like you set out on the boat and do you know where they're going to be? Use a net? How, how does that work? Yeah, well, jellyfish, box jellyfish themselves are quite spatially dispersed, which makes finding them quite a challenge. But the easiest way to find them is you can either, you know, drag out a net and drag the net along the beach there for, you know, 100 so meters, and you'd probably catch, you know, one, two individuals if you know that they occur there. Or another technique we use, uh, which I'm actually going to use tonight when I go out into the field, is we get a, a really bright underwater light and we lower it down off the boat and we leave it there for half an hour. And any jellyfish or, you know, any little critter that's attracted to light will come towards it. And so what we do is we just wait for them to turn up to the boat and scoop them out with our net and put them in a bucket. So they, they do all the work for us, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, well, that's actually a little bit scary because I know one of the big trends in diving and underwater photography at the moment is cold blackwater photography where you go down at night with a big giant light. <laughs> and the last thing I'd ever expect is a uh, box jellyfish <laughs> to show up. That would be, yeah, now I'm going to have a... Uh, yeah, new a new kind of idea about this blackwater diving. Thing. Yeah, well, I see. Um, there's a lot of really cool uh, photography people do off Japan of uh, blackwater diving at night, and they get some really really nice pictures of jellyfish. But yeah, as long as you're being safe, and uh, it's, it's it should be okay. Full wetsuit, not like um, you know, t-shirt and shorts yeah, like no, in the no, Philippines. No, certainly not. Ah, wow. And so. If people did want to see jellyfish, we just mentioned like blackwater and blackwater in Japan, but where else would people look for jellyfish in general? 
the jellyfish are all over the place, really. Some, some days, like for a box jellyfish, if it's a cloudy day, because the clouds are reflecting off the, off the ocean surface, it's almost impossible to find them. Unless you know where they occur, it's quite hard to find them most of the time. Yeah. I know I've been like seeking shots of photos of jellyfish for a long time and you just happen to stumble across them randomly. Mm. That or like, you know, you're there at the beach without a camera and there's about 200 washed up and you're like, ah, damn it. Yes, of course. Yeah. And so before we kind of wrap up, have you got any other, we've spoken about a lot of cool facts today, but have you got any cool facts for us about jellyfish? Yeah, well, you can eat jellyfish actually. So there's some species that are that are actually targeted by fisheries and people say that it's like salty, chewy noodles. I've never tried it myself. I definitely want to, but yeah, it, it doesn't sound terribly appetizing, but it's a big food staple in, uh, in some Eastern countries. Wow. I mean, I get, there wouldn't be much protein in a jellyfish though, would there? I mean, given they're ma- mainly water. Yeah, they're mainly, they're mainly water. I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's any nutritional benefit. I'm not too sure on that myself, but um, I can't see there being too much. Uh, I had a fact that a group of jellyfish can actually be called a smack, which I think <laughs> is pretty, pretty, pretty cool. But um, yeah, so you can eat them. Are there any other cool facts? I know they have been known to bioluminesce as well, which means glow in the glow in the dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them do. Some of them do. It's 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 quite a spectacle. It's really cool. The comb jellies, which aren't actually jellyfish, they're, they're cousins of the jellyfish. They, they put on an incredible light show. Um, and you should definitely check out our video. Everyone should check out our video. They're really, really cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I post the link to the video um, on the uh, Sea Creatures kind of website as well. But yeah, so tell, well, tell us quickly what happens when the like, comb jellies bioluminous and what do they kind of look like? Describe it for us. Well, so they have the, the comb jellies along the side, along their sides, they have these cilia, which are these, these little hair-like structures. And as the light reflects through them, they kind of, and they, while they're moving, it's like a, it's like a, a rainbow up and down the side. It's really cool. I have, I, I don't know what the, what the benefit of doing it is, but they look really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I mean, comb jellies, they kind of look like an underwater banana in my kind of view without the skin, but I, I have no idea why they would have a light show given that they can't really see. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes they'll use light to attract prey. You know um, it's like uh, in, in finding Nemo and uh, they're in the depths and they see that light and they go towards the light. It's a lot of, a lot of that happens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know, I know like animals like squid and so forth love light. So yeah, I can just picture squid getting trapped in a jellyfish. They're too curious to stay away. Yeah, indeed. Uh, well, thanks very much for talking to us about jellyfish. And if anyone has any jellyfish-related kind of questions, can they get in contact with you or what should they do? Well, I have an Instagram uh, that's jellyfish underscore science, and you can, you can message me on there and I'll happily answer any of your questions. And I also have a, a Twitter where I share uh, my science updates, which is just scott j morrissey so uh, yeah give them a follow if you're interested in, in anything jellyfish awesome well thanks very much for being on the show thanks for having me sea creatures podcast is hosted edited and produced by myself matt testoni production assistance by george mcgrath and music by the talented dan Musil. if you like the show jump onto our patreon page which is patreon.com slash the sea creatures 
podcast. Or visit our Instagram, seacreatures underscore podcast. And if you really like the show, make sure you give us a rating on Spotify or Google or Apple or however you are listening to this podcast. Coming up next time on the Sea Creatures podcast, we're going to be talking all about the legendary birds, the albatross, with Keith Reed, who has spent almost his entire life studying these amazing birds. This has been the Sea Creatures podcast. Over and out.